Hi, I'm Jane, and every month I'll be sharing stories and poems I've written to entertain you. I'll also be reminiscing, reviewing favourite books, making recommendations, and giving you an insight into what's inspired me. Make sure you subscribe to hear tales of time travel, ghosts, romance, adventure, and more, all told in a whole accent. So get yourself comfy and get ready to listen to something new. there was a problem my husband and I about five or six months after she'd been born we just didn't know how much of a problem or what it would eventually lead to we tried to show what she looked like in a mirror which I'm sure most parents do moving the child closer beaming with pride at their uncomprehending face saying look who's that is that you at first when she squirmed and cried we just presumed she was uncomfortable. We moved away from the mirror and got her settled and thought no more of it. We never linked the crying with the action of looking into mirrors. And why would we? There were mirrors in some of her toys. She'd never reach for those ones. And again, presumptions were made. She just prefers the other toys. We had the obligatory one above the fireplace which would occasionally lift her to see herself in. Look, it's Darry. She cried every time we did this, and every time we had a different excuse. She's tired. The light was shining. She's uncomfortable. As she got older, she'd hide her face either in her hand or in our shoulder whenever we tried to present her to a mirror. We began to realise that she was actually scared of them, but we thought she'd grow out of it. When she was able to talk, if we were near a mirror, she'd say, no mirror, mummy. And I would ask, why? And she'd say, no, want to go. I would ask, go where? And she would reply, no, there. Shopping became a palaver. She would clench shut her eyes if she spotted a mirror and bury her head against our legs, clinging to us and stumbling along. Sometimes we'd become exasperated and try to peel her off us, telling her not to be silly. And then she would sob, not a tantrum cry, but sob as if the saddest thing in the world was happening. She'd say, no silly, me no want go. We'd then be subjected to suspicious or hostile looks from other adults, causing us to hurry along, trying to appear as if none of it bothered us, the comments or stares or her crying. Also, throughout all this time, she would have flare-ups of what was diagnosed at first as baby eczema and then later as childhood eczema. The doctors said it'd probably get better in time. There were no food links or seasonal connections. It was just one of those things. Starting school brought problems too, and they had a well-being teacher try to help her get over a phobia. They gave up in the end, as it just seemed to make Darry worse and she began not wanting to go to school. She'll grow out of it, they tried to reassure us, telling us not to worry, whilst passing on a list of organisations that might be able to help, 
if we wanted to take it further. By this time, she was adamant that if she looked into a mirror, she'd be taken into it and taken away. We tried to tell her that no one had come through a mirror to take her. It just wasn't possible. She'd become exasperated and tearful, saying, Not me, me. We couldn't understand what she meant by this, and eventually just accepted mirrors were not going to be featuring heavily in our decor. We fastened my bedroom mirror inside my wardrobe door, and this turned out to be rather handy because she'd never go in that cupboard, and we could hide all the birthday and Christmas presents in there, and they'd be safe from prying eyes. My dressing table vanity mirror would be covered at all times. The pretty floral sheet only removed when I needed to apply makeup or do something fancy with my hair. And we eventually took down the large mirror above the fireplace. Darry wouldn't ever go into the living room with her eyes open, no matter the inducement or punishment. And we got fed up of it being covered over and fed up of the comments whenever friends or family came round, telling us what to try or do as if we hadn't been trying or doing anything for years. One day, I'd gone into town as I needed a new coat. A friend had given me a 50% off voucher for a rather posh store that was having a sale. I'd taken Darry, who was now six years old, with me as Tam was working. I knew there'd be issues as soon as we reached the open door. It was a very fashionable boutique with designer multi-tiered lighting, designer flooring and harsh concrete and circles of polished reflective brass, wood and marble. Soft music drifted over and around everything and everywhere, mirrors. I hesitated for a moment, should I bother? Darry stood frozen on the spot, her eyes already clenched shut. And I could see, not ten feet away, the coat selection and a particularly lovely deep beige suede. I made my decision. Come on, Darry, I'm sure you can manage, just this once. She shook her head, her chin trembling slightly. I sighed and reached for her hand, which she grasped hold of oh so tight and drew as close as she could to me, her face half buried in my hip. I nearly fell over her. Darry, you're going to have to let go. I can't try anything on with you holding so tight. I told her, not unkindly, and she reluctantly released my hand. I shrugged off my own jacket in readiness and put it down on top of my bag on the floor. I went to unhook the coat I'd seen through the door. Not my size. Typical. I'd step forward to flick through the others on the rail. I took another few steps forward to check the other side of the rack. Darry suddenly let out a panicked, Mummy! I turned to see her with her arms outstretched, eyes wide open and her face flushed. Tears were already streaming down her face and I could see she was looking at a freestanding mirror which had been angled between two of the rails. Oh, for goodness sake! I recall being exasperated and having the heart-wrenching feeling you have when your child's upset. I'd quickly gone back to her. She threw her arms around me and I was surprised to feel her trembling. The sobbing was louder than usual and punctuated with moans and her fingers gripped me so tightly I had to wriggle free a little. Darry, stop now. You're all right, it's only a mirror. Darry! 
In my peripheral vision, I could see an old lady appear. She seemed to be lingering, probably waiting to see what I was going to do next to hurt my child, I thought. Awkwardly, with Dari hanging on to me still, I bent and fumbled in my bag for a tissue for my daughter. Dari, you're going to have to let me go a little. I can't find the tissues. Dari shook her head, bending over with me, her body as close as possible to mine, still wrenched with sobs and disconcerting trembles. I was starting to feel a little scared. I would have to try the child therapy the doctor had mentioned and a teacher had hinted at. This was the worst she'd ever been. The old lady came closer. She was smartly dressed in the typical old lady style, wearing a soft grey felt hat with a narrow brim and grey buckled shoes with a handbag to match. I noticed she did look genuinely concerned. Her sad eyes were looking at Dari. She's scared of mirrors, I said, half defiant and half embarrassed that would cause the scene. I wondered why no sales assistant had ventured near us. Probably too loud and too messy, I mused, as I wiped my little girl's red cheeks and runny nose. She continued to look at Dari and said, Oh, me too. Her voice was thin and clear, and I could feel Dari try and still herself to hear. I thought then the stranger was going to jerk and say something about looking in the mirror and seeing her wrinkles. Instead, she said, I've always been scared of them, little one. Do you feel their power? Dari had nodded, her face still pressed against my leg. Hmm, murmured the woman. She crouched down and then rather unexpectedly knelt on both knees in front of us. You know what the secret is, don't you? Dari had shook her head slightly and looked at her through her lashes. Don't look yourself in the eye, little one. I never look myself in the eye. Is it a phobia then? Blurted out. She shook her head slowly and said, as if still talking to Dari, Not a phobia, it's a reality. It's when you look yourself in the eye that you can be taken. The hairs on the back of my neck had begun to prickle and my mouth went dry. What do you mean, taken? The old lady stood up with a strangely fluid motion and turned her sorrowful eyes on me. They looked like the sea on a stormy day, and I almost couldn't tear away my gaze. Has her skin ever peeled if she's looked into a mirror? Eyes caught again, one breath, a pause, and suddenly her eczema, her flushed face. I'd answered her slowly, already doubting my sudden conclusion. Yes, I think so. I held Dari a little bit closer. Unsure I wanted to hear any more, but intrigued all the same. That's a sign that you are being taken. We are a rare species, your daughter and I. There aren't many of us around. What could I say to that? I could feel myself beginning to frown. Was she nuts? You see, whenever we look ourselves in the eye, a little bit of our, we'll say, soul is taken away into the other realm. If we look for too long, 
it can sometimes be physically taken. The skin is the first part to go, she added confidentially. I could sense Dari listening intently and tried to cover her ears. She shook me off. I didn't want to hear any more. I didn't want Dari to hear any more. Or did I? Before I could gather my senses enough to walk away from her strange stories, she continued, putting a surprisingly gentle hand on my arm. I could feel the warmth of it through my jumper. On the plus side, she smiled a lopsided smile. If we have the right frame of mind and have a good enough mirror, we can step through willingly. They'll be warned, sometimes we can't come back. I lost my sister that way. Sometimes I think I may see her again. Most of the time, though. She sighed, and I started to pull my tatty jacket back on. My heart was pounding as if I'd been running a marathon. I could feel disbelief and fear chasing through my body. Would Darry ever disappear like that? As crazy as this woman sounded, there's a truthfulness and earnestness I couldn't deny. She gave her attention back to Darry. Look at me, little one. She spoke gently, and Darry looked fully up at this strange and mysterious woman. You can walk past mirrors. And you can look at them, just don't look yourself in the eye. Always look just slightly sideways at yourself. I've managed to stay here and stay myself for over 70 years now. I can do my hair and makeup and try on clothes. Sometimes though, you will get the urge to look. Fight it, either close your eyes for a second or look away. You might feel your eyes being drawn forward, sneakily and slyly, as if they're not your own. But don't look. Never look. Do you think you can remember all that? Darry nodded. Her grip loosened ever so slightly, her lashes still wet with tears. The lady smiled, a bigger smile this time. A smile that seemed to glow brightly. She patted Darry's curly head twice, gently, and faced me again. Remember all I've told you. It is important. Oh, the teenage years will be the hardest. She might want to try and go through. Make this world wonderful so she'll never be tempted. I lost my sister that way. I'm sorry about that. Your sister, I mean. A fleeting smile this time, quick as a ray of sun on a stormy, windy day. She spoke again with a slight touch to Darry's still flushed cheek. Look after her. She then turned and straightened her hat, looking sideways in the mirror. I bent down to retrieve my bag, thousands of questions beginning to form in my mind. A name for one, and... Would I be able to contact her in the future? I looked up, words in my mouth, ready to be spoken. She wasn't there. I looked down and saw Darry staring with wonder at the spot this unusual prophet had been standing. A ripple of goosebumps danced on my arms. I glanced at the mirror with a shudder. I didn't want that question forming in the mind.
I forgot all about the new coat and quickly exited the shop, Darry's hand once again tight in mine. As soon as we were back out in the fresh air, I searched frantically, looking up and down the high street, two steps this way, watching for a grey felt hat, five steps this way, standing on tiptoes to get a better view. Seemed my search was in vain. She's gone, mummy, Darry said. I felt the hair on the back of my neck prickle again. I'm special, aren't I, mummy? She added, looking up at me, heartbreaking, solemn misery in her eyes. Yes, I replied, trying to smile at her reassuringly, though my heart was still thumping uncomfortably. Let's go and get a drink and some cake. called mirrors i hope you liked it it was inspired by the thought that mirrors are often seen as portals to other dimensions or other realms for ghosts to come through i started thinking what about if there's certain people that can go through mirrors into their realm into the spirit world realm almost straight away there was a film playing in my head of a little girl crying and an old lady talking to her explaining that they're a rare species. And the idea began to grow, and eventually, I heard the story. Recently, when I did a poetry course, I learned about a type of poetry called terminals or terminal poetry. And it was described as a term used by the Australian poet. John Tranter, poems composed by taking the last words in the line of a source poem and then using them as the last words in the line of your own poem. This means you end up writing around someone else's words, but the end result is largely your own. The poem we were given to work with was called Bright Star by John Keats, and as it's in the public domain, I can share that here. Bright star, would I were steadfast as thou art, not in lone splendour hung aloft the night, and watching with eternal lids apart, like nature's patient, sleepless eremite, the moving waters at their priest-like task of pure ablution round earth's human shores, or gazing on the new soft fallen mask of snow upon the mountains and the moors. No, yet still steadfast, Still unchangeable, pillowed upon my fair love's ripening breast, to feel forever its soft fall and swell, awake forever in a sweet unrest, still, still to hear her tender taken breath, and so live forever, or else swoon to death. And here's my contribution, my converted poem, A Convert to the Paranormal. I watched, for inspiration, for my art, a haunted investigation one night. For a while, I couldn't tell them apart. Ghostly cries, or man-made noise, or eremite lingering. Echoes of the past, a task incomplete, stone recording. Will these shores not release me and free me from this mask? I yearn for peace, 
tranquility, the moors to wonder my heaven unchangeable. I heard a voice, my heart beat in my breast. Some movement, activity starts to swell. Help me? The medium senses unrest, says, I forgive you. There's a final breath I witness, live, a ghost walk into death. My own first paranormal experience wasn't anything as dramatic as hearing a noise or seeing an actual figure or seeing a mist walk into death or anything like that. My first paranormal experience involved an animal. For a young child waking suddenly in the night to see a tortoise on my bedroom wall was at first confusing and then terrifying. I did what almost everyone would do. I shouted for my dad. He came running up the stairs and switched on the light. What's wrong? There's a tortoise on the wall. If my dad's mouth twitched at this, I didn't notice. He came to my bed. It was pushed against the wall in the corner and ran his hands all over the wallpaper. Where was it? Well, there's nothing there now. Probably dreamt it. Go back to sleep. I lay for a while after the lights had gone out, looking carefully for any sign of the animal. How it managed to be on my wall without suction feet didn't occur to me. Just the fact that it had been there, an arm's reach away and about a foot above my bed, looking as if at any moment it would begin walking nearer to me, was enough for my brain. I burrowed further under my covers before closing my eyes again. I had one more look. Nothing. Later, I don't know how much longer later, I woke again, suddenly, and there it was, facing me in the same place as before, shades of brown and grey shell, the darker cave for its head. I screamed for my dad again, who again came running, and he checked the wall. I think he even looked under my bed and reassured me that there was nothing there. My memory's hazy as to if it happened a third time. I only know with hindsight that I should have told him not to switch the light off so he could see it for himself. I never had that experience again. Was I hallucinating, sleep-seeing, or was it really there? It's almost certain it wasn't a real tortoise, of course, unless it was a fast runner and they can walk up walls. I do know it wasn't a reflection of anything, as if it was, it would have been there all the time. Because it disappeared so quickly, I like to think it was a ghost tortoise. And when I had my next strange experience, I wondered if it was a memory tortoise. That's a story for another time. Continuing my exploration on the theme of mirrors, that story was called Toby. Well, that's all for this month's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. And if you didn't like it, well, never mind. Still subscribe though, because you might like it better next time. And speaking of next time, stories and poems about ages, stages, memories, and something organic. Try for now. <laughs>